to episode 72 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is a foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level, played from youth and high school to juniors, college and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all the happenings in hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I am joined by Jason Lewandowski, Scott Harrington, and producer Dan Humphrey. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content, adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by Athletic Performance Insight. APIs, easy to use, affordable technology, designed specifically for amateur hockey, provides every team the opportunity to benefit from video and analytics. Teams use the API app to track events in real time. Event data is used to generate reports and simplify video review. Athletic Performance Insight, amateur hockey, elite technology, professional results. Go to athleticperformanceinsight.com today to learn more about this tool and view a demo video. Well, last week we had the opportunity to speak with Joe Sherman. Uh, Joe is a Northeast Ohio guy uh, from here, Lake County, and he serves as a linesman in the high school, college, and pro ranks. Well, Joseph is a quite the character. He's a heck of a referee. He's a heck of a linesman, obviously does it on a, a multiple level. It was great to get to understand what it's like to be a on ice official throughout the different levels. Uh, a lot of the good stories he was able to tell about breaking up fights and how he pinches guys. That was kind of weird, but it was still. Well, I can't weird. wait to talk to our uh, in-studio guests about maybe something about that. Well, so he may know a little bit about right, that, right. Uh, player coach days and all that, but uh, yeah, it was great to get an insight on, you know, uh, an, an official's point of view on what needs to happen in the game to make it better, how to grow the officiating core, seeing as uh, you know, throughout our country, there's a shortage of officials. But uh, anytime you get a chance to sit down and talk to Joe, he's an entertaining individual for real. Yeah, good stuff. And I was going to say that that was my main takeaway was that there's just a shortage of officials. Um, and I get it. He, he kind of said it was the parents more than the coaches that are kind of make it uh, a difficult job. Yeah. And I, I absolutely get that. But, um, you know, you have to have competent on ice officials. It's kind of like politicians. If you oh, don't even get don't. If you Do not compare if that, you make it a miserable experience and you go into everybody's background and dig stuff up and good people are not going to want to be politicians. We need good officials on the ice. No, we do. You're right. And, and, and Joe was, uh, you know, Joe, Joe came in and, and get and told some really good stories, but Joe, I think Joe also did a lot of education as well to our listeners, which was a huge part of uh, that interview. I got a, uh, I got a question on Twitter this week that said, do you really think we're that dumb and don't know who a referee and who a linesman is? <laughs> and I said, well, based on conversations that I listened to, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, one of the stories that Joe told us had to do with a player coach from the Youngstown Steelhounds of the Central Hockey League getting into a fight right after the opening faceoff. That story was an unplanned segue into today's, this week, well, today in this week's episode with Mr. Jeff Christian. To those of you who have joined us live via Zoom, thank you. We're asking for your patience as we navigate our first show with a live audience. If you have any questions for our guests, please put it in the chat. And if there's an opportunity, producer Dan Humphrey will let us know and we can get your questions asked. So what's going on with you guys? Jay, how's the week been? Oh, the week's been fantastic. Uh, it's nice that we're going to get some snow. I know that's not popular, uh, but, you know, it is Christmas with no snow. So let's get some snow in the, in the air. 
good times at the rink so far. Uh, everybody's uh, staying safe, staying healthy, and we're playing live hockey and with, with good crowds. So it's an exciting time to be up here in, in the game. And I know this is a hockey podcast, but did you guys see the Chargers Raiders game last night? It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> you want to talk about a storyline? At, at any point, did you think they were just going to take the knee? Yeah. So did I. Well, I turned it on. It was a it was a fifteen point game. I thought ah, I'll just keep it on while I'm doing some stuff in the laptop here. See if see what happens because I knew there was that crazy scenario where if it was a tie, the Steelers get knocked out of the playoffs. Oh man, both teams go. Uh, so I thought, all right, I'll, I'll watch and see what happens. And it was just a crazy, they, they got a touchdown, obviously went for two, got it, got the ball back, scored again, tied it. And then, uh, yeah, narrowly made the field goals that, that last drive by, uh, the chargers 19 play drive in two minutes and six seconds. Yeah. Just that's quick. Yeah, just chucking it down the field. It was crazy. Well, was crazy it, I got home. We had a game last night on the east side. We're in the east side. So it was like an hour from my house. So I get home around 8.30-ish. Well, maybe, probably later than that, 9.30. And uh, so I just get on the couch, and I'm just like trying to, I'm trying to settle. And this game, and I didn't know all the scenarios that were involved in this whole game. Yeah. You know, the only thing the Steelers don't need is for them to tie. But if they tie, then both teams go in the playoffs. Right. I'm like, oh, oh, this there's no way they get a tie. There's no way. Well, here we go. Two seconds left. They kick the tie. I'm like, they're gonna take a knee. This is gonna be this is gonna be an injustice <laughs> of, of pro football right here. I don't think they. Well, I was wondering how the league was gonna handle it if it got shaded. So I don't think you could just take a knee through the whole overtime. No, but, but delay a game or something. No, no, but you can just run, kind of go down. Yeah, run, go down. Um, up the middle, up the middle. Right. The I middle, did. Up the middle. I did read something on the athletic uh, website today that the league the, the league did make a statement that said that both teams would be fined if they oh. if it came out that they were yeah, yeah, yeah. inappropriately playing that overtime there's a fix it's going to be a, it's going to be a new documentary on, well, on Netflix well the no, announcers no made a good point if it was Chris Collinsworth I apologize for giving him credit for anything but jeez uh, wow aggressive they said okay they're going to line up to kick the winning field goal no problem what if it gets blocked? What if there's a stupid penalty that takes you out of field goal range? Whatever. Just take the knee. You're guaranteed of making the play. Right. Right. Why kick it? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I did watch it though. It was, it was, it was unique. It was very unique. So yeah, that was a, that was a great thing. Great, great game. Very exciting finish to the season. All right. Well, let's see what's in the news uh, in the hockey digest. Nothing's in the news, according yeah, to our uh, our owner Scott. Yeah. Nothing's in the news. Well, when the administration's here, we kind of go got to go with what he tells us. So, no, that's not true. They all, they all, <laughs> I, there's not really a whole lot to talk about. I will say that there was a discussion uh, between myself and uh, John Malloy on what is a natural hat trick, and is a pure hat trick if you score a natural hat trick. Well, so a natural hat trick is three consecutive goals with the other team not scoring in between, right? If it all happens in one period, is that a, called a pure hat trick or is that a soccer thing? I've never heard of that. But, I, I've never heard of a pure hat trick. I think maybe it's a soccer term because I was Googling it trying to – I thought there was a different word for it. No, I, I've never heard of that either. Well, that's what John Malloy said. No. So I'm, I should have just – no, I should have just gone with what he's <laughs> No, that, that's the worst thing I've ever heard, Scott. Stop it. I'm, natural just, I'm, teasing. I'm teasing. It is natural. Natural hat. Who, 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 where are you having this conversation with? Sir John? 
John, he said, I said, is that a called a pure hat trick? I figured if somebody knew it would be him. Yeah. And he said, no, it's a natural hat trick three in a row. I said, yeah, but in the same period, he's like, no, it's a natural hat trick. Where did you come up with the term pure? I heard it once before. I, so I Googled it at the soccer and field I saw, well, I saw a reference to it in soccer, which I don't follow, but it I sure sound I like it, you do. I thought I heard it in hockey before, but I guess I was wrong. You're I should have just listened to John. You're a man, you fan. So I don't know. I, yes. We know you follow soccer. Stop it. Sheesh. Footy. Sheesh. <laughs> well, we're fortunate to have uh, our guest tonight in studio live uh, with an addition, which is, which is great. I can't wait to get uh, some questions to his daughter as well. So um, Jeff Christians played in the, the NHL with the Pittsburgh Penguins, New Jersey Devils, and the Arizona Coyotes, and also played for an 18 additional teams over 21 years of professional playing career. That included time in the Cleveland market with the Cleveland Lumberjacks, Cincinnati Cyclones, and the Youngstown Steelhounds right here in Ohio. He also coached the Wheeling Nailers on a memorable run in the East Coast Hockey League's Kelly Cup playoffs in 2016 please welcome on air mr jeff christians and daughter tyler welcome guys thank you thank you so much tyler's off mic right now but uh yeah no we're excited <laughs> to be here we love you know i love cleveland and uh and very happy to to uh, make the drive up from columbus and be with you guys well we, we definitely appreciate you doing that um so jeff you are well known to hockey fans all around the state as a player and a coach but let's start off by talking about your family and growing up in ontario your dad, Gordy, played tight end for six seasons for the CFL. Yeah, my dad was uh, from Hamilton, and uh, he played junior football in Hamilton uh, after high school and turned pro 67 to 72, won two great cups with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, um, got in a really bad car accident. He was rear-ended. Uh, it's like someone ran the light. And uh, back then in the early 70s, man, you know, you have a back surgery and you're pretty much finished. And that, that's what happened. So he uh, he became a steel worker. He worked at the Fasco and we literally grew up across the street until I think 60 or um, sorry, until uh, 76. I was six years old. We moved out to Mount Hope, which is out in the country. Um, but, yeah, we literally lived across the street from the steel mill and um I grew up, I had uh, five brothers and a sister. So we had a big family and being out in the country was great. I mean, we were always playing hockey on the pond in the driveway, you know, but other sports as well, baseball, football all over the place. So it was good. It was a good way to grow up. It was a small town, not even a town. We were out in the middle of nowhere, but uh, yeah, my mom was a school teacher until she decided to have seven kids and <laughs> got a little carried away, but it's a lot of fun. And Tyler knows her cousins up there. Like my, uh, my siblings have a lot of da uh, kids her age. So we get up there every chance we can. And we, and uh, although I became an American citizen, uh, I still kind of claim to be Canadian. Sure, sure. So what's your path through minor hockey? Well, it's an interesting story. I actually played um, in the middle of nowhere, like I said, Glanbrook, which was the township. And the way it worked back then was it went by population, your, your rating. So we were a double B, but really we should have been rated like a D. I'm in you know, a triple A, double A, single A, blah, blah, blah. But we were a double B organization. Uh, I played Glanbrook minor hockey. And then, um, so at 16, I go for my, this is a good story. I go, I'll, I try out for my hometown junior C team and I get cut at 16. Okay. 
the, the town next over is Dundas. They say, come on out and try out. I was like, okay, yeah, fine. No problem. I try out, I make the team. After that year, I got drafted to London Knights. After the year in London, my first year with London, I got drafted 23rd overall to New Jersey. So at 16, I was cut from my hometown junior C. And at 17, I was drafted 23rd overall in the NHL. <laughs> and that's the way it goes, right? Like, you know, uh, when I got cut from my hometown team, I was um, going to play um, like, you know, midget, as we say in Canada, which is nothing right? You're not getting, you're not getting anything out of midget hockey and high school hockey, which in Canada at the time was no big deal. Right. It's just, you're basically just playing with your friends. You know, we never, we, when I, you know, growing up, I never went to any OHL games. I didn't know anything about getting scholarships or anything like that. Like we were very, very naive. I got drafted to New Jersey 23rd overall after a year in the OHL, I didn't have an agent. And, 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 you know, a lot of mistakes early on in the career like that, but, uh, yeah, no, that, that's kind of my path, but that's always a funny story. As I say, you know, you get cut just cause somebody doesn't like it. doesn't mean, you know, a year or two later, you might not be, you know, things turn around for you. Was so. there a massive jump in your skill level that year, or was it, uh, somebody not evaluating you properly? You know, gosh, you know, um, I don't, I honestly, Scott, I don't know why I got picked out of everybody else. I mean, I had decent numbers, but you know, you know, my skating, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, talk about rough. Like when I went to London, um, I went with size 12 skates. Like I, you know, throughout my career, I wore 10 and a half, uh, sorry, nine and a half or 10. So that was always my dad's thinking because we couldn't afford anything. Like literally nothing is like, we're going to buy you skates that you grow into. So, you know, maybe that didn't help my skating along the way, but yeah, I don't know what it was. Uh, I think it was just, um, I, you know, you know, the way I played, I, I, you know, it was, uh, it was a different era with the elbows and the sticks and the, and, uh, you know, uh, I kind of lived in that area of Clutching grab. yeah 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 like i was uh you know even in my going into my first year pro in in utica i mean i had a decent season but basically my whole job was to stand in front of the net and take a beating right you know like that was my that was my role that i that i finally nobody else wanted to do it so the coach put me in but uh yeah no i mean i didn't fight in junior at all uh excuse me junior c i didn't fight but then when i went to london you know, I was kind of in that old school mentality of like Gordie Howe. And of course, you know, that was the one, you know, he wasn't my era, but that's who I kind of modeled my game after. And I remember like the first day I, I in London, I'm like, I got to learn how to do this. And there's only one way. So I fought Tim Taylor, who, you know, uh, Stanley Cup champion with uh, Tampa. And he was, a, he was more of a skilled guy, but he was a veteran guy and he challenged me. And I was like, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah, right. And then the next day I fought another guy named Dan LeBlanc, who was a, a you know, good friend of mine turned out to be, but he was a left winger and he was a rookie like me. And I was like, oh, this guy looks pretty good. So I went after him and then, you know, like, I was like literally like every single game I fought and you know what they, like, like I said, I didn't know anything. Like I literally didn't know anybody or anything. And I literally would fight like every single game and I'm fighting these like legit super heavyweights. And I remember the one time during my first season, um, I elbowed Troy Crowder. And I don't know if you guys remember Troy Crowder, but he had that epic fight in 88, 89 with Bob Probert. You know, they go for like seven minutes mm -hmm. and I, I elbow him. And the linesman comes over. He's like, Hey kid, you better be careful. I'm like, I don't give a, you know, <laughs> screw him. 
it was like, okay, you know, like, but that was, you know, ignorance was bliss. I didn't know any better, I guess, but that's just the way I, my dad was a very aggressive guy. And, and that's what, you know, I think that's what set me apart. Not so much the skill game, you know, because, you know, even throughout my pro career, most of my goals were scored within two feet of the net. Right. So in 88, you get drafted 23rd and uh, uh, four picks later, the tough guy, Ty Domi gets picked. Yeah. Uh, you and Ty ever uh, uh, get introduced? No, no thank God. Uh, <laughs> uh, global Global was a television network, still is, in Toronto. Global Game of the Week. Uh, Ty in Peterborough, Ty Domi skates up to me. Uh, and, he, and this is my second year, so it's 88-89. He says, where's DeBrusque? We had Louis DeBrusque was a rookie, but he came in super heavyweight uh, in London and Louis had got hurt the night before in a fight with Dennis Vial. He had hurt his neck. And I, and I said, uh, yeah, he hurt his neck. He's like, okay. You know, like that. <laughs> well, okay. Ty. And we we got Peterborough beat us, but I ended up fighting Rob and Ross Wilson instead of fighting Ty Domi. I'm like, I'll fight anybody else. <laughs> twice. But, and, and those guys were, those guys were, uh, like, like they were heavyweights, but not the super heavyweight that Ty Domi was. Um, and in, and in fact, that game, I learned one very, very important thing. Uh, never take your helmet off in a fight. Like I, I, you know, I was like, I got all, you know, game of the week. I'm like, ah, let's take our helmets off. I was like, nah, that's such a good idea. But, uh, yeah, I never fought Ty Domi. Um, I fought some heavyweights, you know, some super heavyweights. I fought Rick Tockett. I fought Reve in Montreal. Uh, I fought some super heavyweights, uh, uh, Fletcher in, um, in the minors, but, uh, my my style of fighting was um protect yourself you know like i I would throw a couple maybe big ones to start and see how it goes and i and i felt good about like i was strong enough that i could protect myself and hold guys off but uh you know that was the era you had to learn how to do it if you wanted to play on the edge and and, uh and uh go into dirty areas as they say you know it it didn't take much rick talk it seems like you'd be kind of shifty to get into a tussle with i fought talking uh and um i was with pittsburgh he was with boston and he eye gouged me on the ice and i told him i said you don't have to do that <laughs> like i'm not a threat to you you know it was it wasn't you know we're we're kind of buddies in the sense that i know him like he was when i was in wheeling he was in pittsburgh and stuff and a you know, super great guy but you know it's just that kind of thing it's like come on dude you don't have to do that to me i'm not i'm not a threat to you but that's just who he was you know i, I want to say i think one of the best parts of this whole story was the fact that his daughter tyler's over here shadow boxing when, she, when you're telling the story <laughs> tyler's gentle she, she, she's, a, she's a she doesn't know that side of her dad uh, ty actually got to see me play um last year we did a cincinnati cyclone alumni game down at uh, indian indian hill for the, it's like a, a tournament that they have for the police. Uh, they donate to, you know, the, the fallen policemen and stuff. But anyway, so we, we've been down there a few times, but she got to see her old dad skate. And, uh, and I think she said, well, why are you so slow? <laughs> <laughs> so before we talk about your professional career, one more question about the, I, I want to point out you had uh, two brothers that also played pro hockey and racked up their share of penalty minutes as well. All, all big. I don't know about the the family members that didn't play pro hockey, but what was the grocery bill like at your house? Oh, you know, I look. I told you guys, like my dad didn't have two nickels to rub together. I don't know how they ever made it. We talk about it all the time uh, with my mom and stuff. But uh, Gord, my older brother, he went to he played in a little bit in the OHL, 
And then he went to University of New Brunswick. Uh, Canadian University hockey is pretty good. It, it's not bad for a lot of guys who go to the OHL and stuff. But uh, he turned pro and played a little bit in the East Coast League. And then Brandon, my, my younger brother, who I don't know if you guys know this, but he was shot and killed by police in Quebec. Did you know that? So Brandon, uh, you know, he struggled with schizophrenia and bipolar and stuff throughout throughout his life. But uh, a couple of years ago, he was shot and killed. But anyway, Brandon played a long time and fought a lot. And it wasn't a really great, it was, you know, it just wasn't a healthy environment in that uh, Quebec senior league he was in. And it was, you know, pretty, pretty rough times up there for him. But uh, he played quite a while, not really played, you know, he just fought a lot. Uh, and then my brother, Michael, actually played, he went in the OHL and then he turned pro, uh, I think he was in Toledo for a short period of time. And then he had a really bad concussion. Mm-hmm. And then he, uh, and then my younger two brothers, John Paul and Gary didn't play hockey, uh, you know, beyond junior. Well, I remember meeting Gord because he came to Cleveland uh, and he had been cut by Johnstown and he came, was at practice you know, before the game, whatever, yeah. at the morning skate. And then I took him up to the office and we were faxing every team in the East Coast. League. Yeah. Yeah. Gordo, uh, Gordo had a, you know, he had some skill. I just actually just talked to him. He, he's a chiropractor now and he's, he's looking to take a job um, down near Dayton. So interesting. Uh, you know, we literally just talked to him on the way up here, but uh, yeah, no, he, he had some skill, um, you know, probably a better skater than me, but you know, no. just, just, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh good first year in, in uh, Utica in the American league, 24 goals, 66 points, uh, good numbers for a 20 year old rookie. And then uh, a couple of years there spent part of the 92, 93 season you mentioned with Cincinnati. And then you had a big year. The, the devils moved their farm team to Albany uh, 34 goals, 77 points, 227 penalty minutes. And that was kind of your your last year there before you moved to the Pittsburgh slash Cleveland organization. Um, how did you end up going from the Devils organization to the Penguins? Well, I was drafted by the Devils, like I said, and I, I went to six camps and, and I played four seasons there. And what happened with the Devils was um, after my first year, I had a decent season. All right, I had a terrible start. I didn't score a goal or I maybe even get a point in the first 10 games. And I was, you know, the coach and it was in a, you know, the Utica, New York's like, oh man, like a war zone, you know? And I was kind of like, whatever. It took me a minute to get started. But once I got going, I did all right. So Tom McVie, who was the coach at the time, was a really old school guy, like as old school as it gets. And, you know, I, it was uh, after practice every day, just working with Tommy and, and, uh, and the backup goalie's name was Mark Romain. It was like the three of us would be out there for like hours after practice. And uh, finally I earned Tommy's respect and uh, he played me a little bit more. And, you know, like you said, 66 points was pretty good for a rookie, but I mean, we had some guys on that team that put up some big numbers like Kevin Todd and these guys, but anyway. um, So I go back to the devils as a 21 year old and I make the team. Okay. Didn't get to play, got sent down. And Tom, Tom McVie was the coach. And during that season, uh, uh, 91, 92, her Brooks came to coach Utica devils. All right. So can you imagine a a less her Brooks (laughs) hockey player than this guy, (laughs) you know, not a great skater Canadian, right? Like just like, so 
what happened was I got a couple of games up with the Devils that year. And Tom, Tom McVie was the coach and he had done very well with the Devils. So I'm like, all right, we're going to re-up. We're going to go two more with the Devils. We're going to re-sign because this is it. I'm, I'm going to have my breakthrough season. And literally like two weeks after I signed back, they fired Tommy and brought Herb up. And at the time, uh, Lou Lamarillo was the GM and stuff. And they were, they were trending towards the American born college guys. Like they had signed Hobie Baker winners, David Emma, Scott Pellerin. They had Jim Dowd, Ben Hankinson. I could name eight guys. Billy Garen. Billy Garen came in. Billy Garen and I were roommates. Um, when he got cut from the Olympic team, he came to live with me. And then David Emma came after the Olympics and we all lived together. Uh, great guys had a great time in Utica and, uh, yeah, obviously Billy was, uh, was the guy, you know, he was, he was a great career and, and he was the one that was pegged to go on, but he actually got cut from the Olympic team. So anyway, I signed back with the devils and it was like, Oh, bad move, you know, cause Herb was never going to call me up. And then the, the fourth year, when we went to Albany, I was like, well, it's a contract year. I better get my, you know, stop feeling sorry for myself here and get back into work. And I got back into work. And then um, that was that with the devils. So um, I was like, okay, I want to sign and I want to play in the IHL because you guys remember early nineties, the IHL was trending. Like it was, you know, TV games and it was, you know, I'm in Albany. It's Albany, Binghamton, Syracuse, mm -hmm. right? Or you could go play in Houston, Vegas, Salt Lake City, LA, like, Orlando and the NBA IHL. cities that didn't have a hockey team. That's basically right. was Larry's, yeah, Larry's <laughs> business model. Well, yeah. So Larry, um, and I said to my agent, I want to play in the IHL and it came down to Pittsburgh and Cleveland or Winnipeg and Fort Wayne. Those were my two choices at the very end. And, and Pittsburgh and Cleveland had an extra year and more money down. And I said, well, I don't really care about the down money. I need the chance to, to make the team. And we looked at Pittsburgh and we thought, you know what? I probably could make the team as a fourth line left winger. So 95, 94, 95, we had the lockout and I got sent to Cleveland during the lockout. Everybody was on a two-way got sent down and I broke my finger in Cleveland. And, uh, and then I only played one game up that year and then two the next. And then I had the big season, uh, my seventh year pro, but you know, it was great. Like, look, when I got sent down to Cleveland, I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to be here. I was like, you know, I didn't sign to play in the minors. I, I signed to play in the NHL and I was not happy, but when, you know, look guys, you guys remember what it was like here in the nineties. I mean, it was awesome. The flats, we opened the gun, whatever it's rocket field house now or whatever it was, mm -hmm. but we opened that rink and just great guys. And the league was great. And Larry was great. And it was, it was, it was a great place to play. And, uh, and I, you know, I made the most of it on and off the ice. Cleveland was <laughs> Cleveland was 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 rocking during those 90s. It was the best. Yeah. You can't. I always say this. You can't describe what it was like unless you were there. Mm -hmm. You know, just the excitement that the Indians never lost. Right. You know, the Browns left and came back and in the, the flats and everything. It just felt great. And for me personally, it was great because I could get home to Hamilton only four hours away. So, um after the three years with, with the, with the Jacks, I, you know, I had a big year. I was like, I, you know, I played 11 games in the NHL. I'm like, I, I can still do this. You know, I'm like, all right, come on one more chance. And I signed with the, the coyotes and they sent me to Vegas and it was like, ah, oh, shoot. You know, <laughs> Larry, Larry offered me a four-year deal after those three. And I, and I should have taken it, 
because I loved Cleveland, but I was like, I, I don't want to sign a minor league deal. I want to try and get to the yeah. NHL. And yeah, well, you're so how old at that point? You're 20, uh, 27, 20. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I was, uh, I was, uh, I had, like I said, I had 11 games in the NHL. So I'm like, okay, I can make the coyotes. And then I got sent to Vegas and I had that suspension for allegedly shooting the puck at the referee. Remember all that? Vaguely. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so what happened? Oh, in the playoff game, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Uh, and I, uh, I got suspended for 20 games uh, for hitting the referee with a puck. So what happened was we were getting a delayed penalty at home. And instead of just touching the puck, what I did was I took this big golf-like swing like this, like whoosh, and, and I hit the puck and the referee skated right into it. All right. And I like, swear to God, I didn't see him until it was like too late. I was like, Oh no. <laughs> uh-huh. And it didn't hit him. It kind of just winged him a little bit, but he played it up and the league suspended me. And what was his name? I don't know. Oh, I figured you. Yeah. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think he went on to be in the NHL, but anyway, uh, so I signed with, um, I signed with Phoenix, uh, coyotes. And when I got sent down to Vegas, I had to come back to Cleveland. Well, I went actually Detroit, the league offices were in Detroit. I had to go in there for a hearing with, and the guy told me like, we're going to at lat, the year before he said, well, well, we'll cut this in half, but we have to, you know, do it. Well, what the, the IHL was such a cluster. I go to the league offices. They can't find the tape. <laughs> I'm like, so there's no proof. Well, we're then talking it didn't, about so a VHS. So this was VHS 90, tape. Yeah. We're talking we're about, about VHS 97, tape. 98. Yeah. It's not listen, all over social media. It, it's the same thing, man. If you didn't have, if they don't have it, it didn't happen. <laughs> right. Well, that's the opposite. It's the like, glove well, we don't fit. You right. must have quit. Right. You didn't do it. Yeah. So they, 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 they were like, we can't reduce the suspension. So oh. I sat out the first 18 games of the season in Vegas. And as you can imagine, that didn't go very well financially. Right, but sure. uh, no, it was fun. It was all right. But, but that that last year in Cleveland, forty goals, forty assists, two hundred sixty-two pins, and that was really the one year where the Jacks had a nice run in the playoffs. Right, went to the conference finals. Yeah, uh, and beat, I got suspended in that series. Beat uh, Indy in Orlando. Yeah, no, we had a great, great bunch of guys. Everything was good. Um, but I think Detroit Vipers beat us in the conference finals, and they won the whole thing. So they were yeah. stacked. But. Um, and you also, as you mentioned, you got some NHL time all three of those years. Was it intimidating getting called up and you walk into a locker room with Lemieux, Yager, Francis, Zuboff, Tom Barrasso? Yeah, all the guys. Um, you know, it's funny now. So I, 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 I always say, uh, instead of what I play, 18 games or whatever up, I say I play parts of five seasons. It sounds a lot better. <laughs> One of those seasons was like two shifts. But that was part of the season. So, uh, no, you know what? It wasn't that intimidating for me. Again, I, I guess I just didn't know any better. But, um, like, the guy, like, Yager was a bit of a, you know, prima donna, uh, as you can imagine. But Lemieux was really good to me. Francis was good to me, you know. And they didn't have to be because I was a minor league guy coming up. But, uh, uh, you know, I was talking with, the um well tyler and i were talking with lee harris the other day who is this jackets skating guy and the monsters skating coach and um like he said you know i i said that about i didn't have that acceleration to to make it to the next level or stick at the next level but when i played those 11 games in that season 96 97 i i felt like i could I looked around and I said, you know what? I feel like I, I definitely could play here. So I, you have to prove it to yourself. You have to believe in yourself or whatever. But uh, and that's what Lee Harris said. He's like, when you play up, 
you 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 play up or you play down depending on the speed because i didn't feel like once i got ramped up to that nhl speed i didn't feel slow now yeah i watched some of those you know highlights it's like it's cringeworthy watching me you know every stride was a struggle kind of thing but <laughs> how how important is that confidence though oh it's I mean, everything i mean to have it in yourself and then to go and prove it well you know that was kind of the problem that maybe i had too is i maybe too confident maybe i should have been a, you know like crash davis says you got to play with uh what does he say um uh fear and arrogance right uh -huh. well i had the arrogance there's no question about that <laughs> but the fear of of like there are better players than you and you have to work and you got to train and you know i i kind of that was the one spot maybe but uh no i always believed i could play in the nhl and and contribute um you know so, ah, you know, here's the thing here, here's you looking back on a long career, 21 years and whatever, uh, you know, my dad was a tough guy. Uh, and he said to me about seven or eight years, you know, he's like, ah, oh, you're a minor league guy and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you know, here's the thing. If I had stayed in New Jersey at 21 and broke my leg and never skated again, I would much rather have the career that I had than that. So we can't say what if, right? We, 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 we make the best of the situation that we have and we go forward. That's it. That's all we can do. Absolutely. Well, we also have your daughter, Tyler, with us. And yeah. Tyler, I, I don't want to put you on the spot. However, you're here. You're going to be part of the family. Let's have a discussion. All right. Ty. So Ty, tell for, for our uh, listening and viewing audience tonight, how old are you? I'm nine years you're old. You're nine years old. God, are you driving yet? No? All right. So where do you go to school? Uh, McVale Elementary. And where is McVale Elementary? Uh, is it Westerville? Westerville, yeah. And Westerville in Columbus? And how was school today? Um, Your I, teacher might be listening. I, know, I doubt it, but. <laughs> I, I know you said you didn't do much today at school earlier when we were talking <laughs> before, but what, 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 is your, what is your favorite subject in school? history history really and, and we have a history teacher with us here right now so what what draws you to history what do you like best about history i don't really i don't really know it's just fun <laughs> i can't it's just fun yeah learning about all the stuff that's gone on in, in the past and hopefully never repeating the mistakes yeah oh i like where you're at i like definitely like where you're at does your dad teach you uh, canadian history I know you learned American history at school. Yeah. I don't do, know about that. I don't know if we, we've gone over the Canadian history or not. No. Do you celebrate Boxing Day? Yeah. Absolutely. I love it. That's World Junior Day, too. So we're, I like we're usually in Canada for Boxing Day. Perfect. Perfect. So I understand you're also a figure skater. Yeah. And how long have you been skating? Uh, since I was three, right? Yeah. And did your dad teach you how to skate? No. I, <laughs> he's shaking his head no way no, no way did you, i do you, you guys know how that is right dad doesn't know anything in fact she's teaching me how to do some jumps and stuff and uh and not she's she's being quite critical of her old dad with the bad hips and the sore knees and stuff like oh you can't even jump i'm like yeah i'm 100 years old waltz jump. it's the first jump you learn <laughs> so did you ever play hockey no not even in the street, not even in, in, in a basement in a ball hockey, no hockey whatsoever. No. Strictly never figure. want to. Never want to. I like Ooh. where you're at. He'll save <laughs> no. the body. I like where you're at. So can you tell us what is synchro skating? Um, so it's basically just a big group of people. So for me, 
on my team, there's 13 people, including me. Okay. And basically you just get every single person to pass the same tests. Okay. So that you can do the exact same things. So it, would it be comparable to synchronized swimming? I'm American, so forgive me. <laughs> mm, yeah, kind of. And so what, how, how, how tedious, I, I don't want to say the word tedious. That's kind of, <laughs> it sounds bad. How long does it take for everybody to get on the same page? So you're completing the routines in synchronization. Well, for us, it took three months. Oh, that's, so, uh, I'd still be trying to learn that. That's yeah. fantastic. And, and can you go ahead and tell us about your YouTube channel? Um, we got an influencer in the house. No free ads. Oh, really? No free ads. Go ahead. Let's hear about the YouTube channel. Um, See, I did not know this, so I'm interested now. I don't really post much on YouTube, but uh, I use if I when I do, it's usually like Roblox. Okay. And um, yeah. It's usually yeah. what? What is it? Roblox. She played Roblox. She she had a good thing going there. Tyler Rachel Game On, I think it was, but then it kind of we kind of faded away from that one. But what's the new one? Uh. Tyler C, I thought it was. I don't know. It, no, it's uh, something else. You told me this morning. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. So she likes to do that. She has fun with her friends and stuff like that. But uh, the synchronized skating is a lot of fun. We uh, we were just up in Michigan this past weekend, and and uh, Tyler's team did very well. The they they did better than they did the previous performance. Are are there are there competitions throughout North America or? Um. Usually, it's just in the like. Usually it's not far, like in the United States. Okay. Perfect. How many subscribers do you have to your YouTube channels? None. None. <laughs> I don't believe he that. He didn't even subscribe. Well, no. you have to teach him how to turn Dad. the computer on. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're here. Yes. Thank you so much. Feel free to chime in at any point. Uh, so let's talk about your uh, your second stint in Cleveland. You mentioned uh, Larry before. Of course, we're talking about Larry Gordon, owner of the Lumberjacks, kind of an old school uh, guy, uh, part of the World Hockey Association, brought pro hockey back to Cleveland. Here's three things that I remember about, about Larry. He traded a player for himself. <laughs> he traded a player for hotel rooms. And he, if I'm not mistaken, he traded a player two days after the training deadline. You know, Larry was the best. <laughs> Uh, you know, Larry was was a huge part of it, right? Like, I mean, he moved the jacks from Muskegon and all that stuff, but just exactly everything that you want in an owner. You know, he he loved it. He, you know, he was wheeling and dealing. He was up in the gun there smoking cigars in the office and just just the best, just absolutely the best. So after my three years with the jacks, I left for two and then I came back 99, 2000. But it had all changed. I think Larry was down in Cabo more than he wasn't, uh, more than he was up here, yeah. and everything just kind of changed. And and you know the IHL was trending down at that point. I think it lasted maybe one more year and then folded. So, but Larry, like Joe McGrath from Slapshot, yeah, kind of looked like Larry a little bit. You know, it was all the same stuff, right? But um, he was he was quite a character. And his and, favorite story was how he signed Wayne Gretzky. And uh, he, he literally held the pen and the paper. I don't know if how much he had to do with it, but uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky, 17-year-old Wayne Gretzky signing in the World Hockey Association. He was in there somewhere. Yeah. Larry was, I think, marketing at yeah. that point. But mm -hmm. he, from what I remember, and it could be wrong, we'll have to fact check this, but he <laughs> he bought the Jacks 
in Muskegon and the rink for a million bucks or something. It was like, I bought, he bought the rink for a million dollars and the team for a dollar or something like that. And then he moved them to Cleveland and, you know, somewhere along the way, there was an evaluation there of like the Jacks were worth 12 or $13 million at one point in the nineties. That was the story, you know, but <laughs> at the end, I think it was worth, yeah. Uh, wasn't not, a whole uh, lot left of, <laughs> a lot of equity left in it the not a lot of equity but you know larry was the character and uh and i loved him i i thought he was a, just a great guy yeah it, it was a lot of fun back then it was a different time for sure um but he did he traded uh i forget where but uh dave Bastigio went for a player to be named later and then we got bags back as the player to be named later so his quote in the paper was you have to give up talent to get talent that's right yeah that's right Dave Basigio <laughs> now is the head of pro scouting for, for the, the Seattle Kraken. Kraken. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of guys from that era are still involved and, and doing quite well. Well, I was going to say the other two guys, he, so he traded Dale DeGray for hotel rooms in Indianapolis. Uh-huh. And he's runs the Owen Sound yes. TAC, right? In the OHL. Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure you were in Houston, right? Yeah. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, won a Turner Cup there. Um Lane Lambert went from Cleveland to join you guys. And I'm pretty sure it was at least 48 hours after the trading deadline. Oh, really? But nobody was going to tell Larry, no. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think we got um, Jimmy Peck. And Jimmy Peck, yeah. We got Lane Lambert. We got Jason Ruff, I think, from the Jacks. Yeah, I think you're right. At the deadline. And that was really what put us over the top there in Houston. Although we had had, you know, a first place team and a first place power play and an all basically an all-star team and Dave Tippett head coach. Um, we had to get, we won the championship in game seven at home. So it wasn't like we, we didn't walk through those playoffs. You know, we won the first, first round was out of five. We won in five second round out of seven. We won a seven and championship out of seven. We won seven. So, but, um, Laner had a great, great, uh, playoffs and, and, uh, Jason Ruff, huge, huge. I mean, Jason Ruff was a 50 goal score. He was on our third line. You know what wow. I mean? It's just yeah. crazy. Big, the death. Wow. You know, our uh, playoff MVP that year was Mark Freer. He was our third line center playoff MVP. So, you know, Wiseman uh, was the league MVP. That team was awesome. That was a fun year. But what happened at that, at the end of that year was everybody signed two way deals and it was over. So I signed with Chicago to come back to Cleveland. I was like, I want to go home. And, um, yeah, well, I, like I said, when I got here, everything had kind of changed. The affiliation had changed. The coaching situation was a bit of a cluster that year. I don't know if you remember. We had three right, yeah. co-coaches: Dale, uh, Blair, McDonald, BJ McDonald, and yep. uh, and uh, Ganch, and Phil Russell, and Phil Russell, Phil Krusty, Russell. Krusty. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, the guy had a big heart. He would do anything for you. Yeah. But coaching wise, you know, <laughs> that was, it wasn't uh, the X's and O's of today's game. Yeah. We'll say. I, I do want to say that, you know, I, and I had the pleasure of meeting uh, Larry Gordon <clears throat> a few times during my trip down to Cabo, but this is in 1997. So there's no cell phones, no, any of this stuff. Right. And uh, he has us over his house for dinner on the first night or second night, whatever it was. And, He's got channel 43 from Cleveland playing in, in his like dining or living room or whatever. And I'm, he was trying to ask me a question and I'm mesmerized. How in the hell channel 43 is on the TV here in Cabo? Yeah. Right. 
but uh, um, he would just watch all the games. Yeah. That's when 43 used to uh, yeah. do the games. But yeah, I, it blew me away in 1997 that there's technology out there that this guy in Cabo could be watching Channel 43, a local TV station here in, Cle- in Cleveland. Well, if he wasn't there, he could put on his VHS tape and watch it later. Well, that was the thing, right? Larry had all the angles, right? Well, so yeah. if there was one guy who could figure that out, it's Larry. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I remember watching Channel 43 when I played in London, uh, 88, 89, watching the Cavs or, or Cheers on Channel 43. When it, was, it was like, never, never, ever occurred to me that I would be in Cleveland and, and spend as much time as I did here. Because after, when I went to Europe after the 99-2000 season, we actually made our home in Bay Village for three years. And then we bought up on Putin Bay for a year before we went to Youngstown for two. So we, we, we always kind of love this area and the people and everything. So, so when you were at, when you, you said you were, when you were at home, you could get 43? Uh, in London, across on the other side of the lake, you could get Channel 43. Yeah. Well. Watching those Cavs play in the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wasn't Gallardi on there too? Yeah, the Gallardi. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do have one question about uh, when you were in uh, Houston. What was it like playing for Tip? Uh, he was he was great. You know, um, after that year, he went to the LA Kings as assistant coach, and of course, he's been in the in the NHL ever since. But um, he was real quiet. Like he, he wasn't a, he wasn't a coach who, who overcoached a lot. And like I said, that, that we had a, we had an all-star team on that. Like it was huge. Was it more just about get, getting out of, staying out of you guys' way? Well, yes. And yes and no. Uh, but like I was going to say, when he put the hammer down, like when he actually got upset, you were like, Oh shit, this guy means it. Yeah. Like he, he was, he was even keeled and, uh, and everything. But when he, he let you know when, when you, when he wasn't happy with us, um, you know, it's a long year, right? So it's, uh, uh, I think we only lost 15 games the whole year, but yeah. You know, and then taking all those playoff series to the, to the, to the hilt there then. Yeah. You know what? Long. I think we played, I want to say we played nine exhibition games, 82 mm. regular season. And then it was uh, 19 playoff games that year. And I think I missed maybe four total. Wow. So you play, you play like a hundred and something games in a year, but no, it was great. I mean, Houston was great. We had huge crowds. Like I said, great bunch of guys. Uh, Mike Yo was on that team. He's the head coach in Philly. Lane Lambert, obviously. Um, Tip. Um, Brian Wiseman is with Tip. And, and uh, David Oliver was with the Rangers last year. You guys know David mm-hmm. Oliver from the Monster. Or was it Monsters then? Mm-hmm. With the Avs? I think or it might have been the Bears. It was the Monsters. Eh? Yeah. No, it was the Monsters. Yeah. 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 So anyway, a lot of lot of good hockey guys on that uh, on that team, but just a really good bunch of guys that everybody liked each other and got along, and that's probably why we had so much success. So before we take a quick break, uh, just some of your memories of Cleveland uh, fans or the some of the Lumberjacks promotions that. Well, the, the, the best one was the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. I mean, right? We get <laughs> sell out, sell out, seventeen thousand people uh, to come see you guys play. To come see the cheerleaders do their high kicks. I mean, that was the IHL back then, and you know that was the thing about like my number seventy-two. So when I came to Cleveland, my first year, I wore sixteen, which I had worn in junior. But my dad played again. He played football, and he wore seventy-two. And you remember back in the in the IHL days. It was marketing, right? We changed the logo. We changed the colors and stuff. And, and the IHL was trending towards high numbers. And so that's why I said to honor my dad, I'm going to wear 72. 
And up to that point, it hadn't really occurred to me, but it just kind of came to me. And I was like, it's a cool number. Not too many guys were wearing it back then. No. Um, and it kind of became like my little trademark thing that, you know, 72, because it was like, I kind of look like a football player on skates a little bit. <laughs> I do remember we had a seventies night theme and you came rolling in with a powder blue leader, leaser, Le yeah. leaser suit oh, with yeah. wide lapels, yeah. and white shoes, I think. Yeah. I had a lot of outfits. I was like, you guys don't have to dress up. Yeah, no, that was just normal <laughs> for me. That was just... <laughs> uh, oh, man, so many great memories of Cleveland back in the 90s. There, You know, uh, speaking of the suits, remember the Hugo Boss outlet? We, there was a big factory store. It was like huge. And that's all the guys were rolling around in their Hugo Boss suits. We felt like we were all millionaires, you know, wearing these $150 uh, suits. But um yeah, no, it was great. Just great. Uh, you know, every, everything was good back in the nineties there. Uh, we had a good time and a great guys, you know, like I came to the Jacks my, was my fifth year pro. And again, you know, you get here and you see how jock and, and, and Dave McKaylick Boris, how these guys worked and went about their business. And that really helped me understand what it was to be a pro, like, uh, even five years in, you know, just the focus and dedication that they put in the, the practice and how hard they worked and battled every game. Um, so there was great leadership on the team when I got here. Right. Who was the best dressed? Oh, uh, boy. I, you know, what? Who, who spent the most time at the Hugo Boss outlet? Probably Dominic Pittis. I would I would I would say he probably uh, spent more time over there than anybody else. But uh, <laughs> hey, it paid off for him, you know. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh... Uh, and then we're going to be back more with Jeff Christian. This segment of the Ohio Hockey Digest on-air podcast is brought to you by the Original Frame Warehouse. The Original Frame Warehouse has been providing Columbus and Central Ohio with quality custom picture framing for more than 70 years. They have one of the most experienced teams of framers in the country and look forward to helping you bring your projects to life. Contact the Original Frame Warehouse today for all your residential picture framing, ready-made frames, and a wide range of other production and framing services. You gotta keep them separated. Welcome back to On Air. Uh, we're still here with uh, Jeff Christian and uh, his daughter, Tyler. And, and thank you guys for joining us. Um, talking a lot about Cleveland, talking a lot about your pro career. Um, you went over the pond there for a little bit, too. Let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, five years in Europe, four in Germany, one in England. Can you tell us your experience about uh, your time over uh, in Europe playing? Yeah, I was I was 30 and I had been 10 years in the minors. Um, and I, during that last season with the Jacks, 99, 2000, 
like my back had seized up so bad that I literally couldn't get off the trainer's table. <clears throat> Obi-Wan's an Obi. Uh, <laughs> just a great guy, but you know, I, just the grind of the, of the bus and the three and threes and four and five. So anyways, um, what had happened was I'd signed with the Blackhawks. I had a big year in, in Houston. We won the championship. I scored 45 goals, blah, 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 but I'm 29 years old. So I signed with the, with the Blackhawks to come back to Cleveland. Right. So I have a good camp in Chicago and they send me down and they're like, listen, here's what we did last year. We called up all the prospects and all the kids. If you go down to Cleveland and do your thing, we're going to call you up if we need somebody. I'm like, hey, look, at 29, that's the best deal I can ask for. Thank you. So I come down to Cleveland. And after the first three weeks of the season, I was leading the league in goals and points. And they called up three other forwards. And I was like, I'm never getting called up again. So the dream's over, right? Like it takes that long to get over it because you want it so bad. So then I was like, all right, well, let's go to Europe, you know, let, let's, let's look at that. Cause you know, guys are starting to, to, to go over there. And, uh, I signed a two-year deal with a, with a team in, in Germany, uh, Krefeld, And, um, I absolutely loved it. Absolutely loved it over there. The lifestyle, the, the hockey, the fans, it was Friday and Sunday, one home, one away, no road trips, no travel. And I came back after that first season. I couldn't believe how good I felt. Like there's no fighting, no hitting. And I was like, wow, I just feel great. So, you know, that, that, you know, I went another, I don't know, 11 years after that, but um, <laughs> that's because of the, the lifestyle in Europe. I, I was going to ask you, why do people go to Europe to finish their careers? But you kind of just answer it right there. No fighting, no hitting, um, you know, kind of can take care of your body a little bit longer. Pretty good money or two, right? Good money, tax-free uh, tax money. And, uh, you, you know, it's like, even when I'm coaching in the East Coast, like I say to the guys, like, look, if this doesn't work out for you here and you're not going to go up the ladder, go play over in Europe. You can play in Italy. You can play in France. You can play in the Netherlands and you can have an experience that not many people can say, I got paid to live in Europe, you know? So it was great on so many levels. And, um, you know, it was a different world back then too. You got to remember early two thousands, there was no Facebook, my dad, you're joking about VCR tapes. My dad was still sending over Monday night football tapes so we could watch them <laughs> in Europe. Like it was like we didn't have satellite TV until the end of the first year. We got should have called Larry. Like, right, like Larry knew. <laughs> you would have had channel 43. Oh yeah, you'd have been over. In, you went over in Germany, wouldn't watching uh, Cheers on 43. Yeah, oh my God, that'd have been so good. But uh, yeah, there was no DVDs back then. There was no Facebook, you know. So. Um, it was a different world and you did feel a little isolated at times, but uh, I loved everything about it. Um, you know, and uh, we, we ended up, I played in Crayfield for two Dusseldorf, Hanover and Sheffield uh, in England. And I enjoyed my time in Sheffield in England, but it was, a, it was a, the English league compared to the top league in Germany is night and day. Right. I mean, it's like um, that was the first time I kind of took a step down and played at like what we'll call the double a level, the East coast league level. Right. Um, and it was fine. You know, it was okay. I'm glad we did it. I got great friends in England. Um, you know, I've been to 30 different countries, a lot of that because of hockey playing, not just vacationing. Um, so yeah, you know, it was a good experience. And then that was over. Like we had had enough five years and came back and played in the central hockey league. That was my question. What, what was the reason for coming back? Was it just, You'd had enough and it was a great experience and great life. And now let's go do something new. Yeah. Um, 
yes, my my wife didn't love it over there. Okay. She didn't she didn't really enjoy the lifestyle of being away. And you know, in England, like I said, the money wasn't great. So we had we were actually bought a place on Putin Bay. We were staying up in Putin Bay the summer of 05. And I started talking with Toledo and I actually had agreed to a contract with Toledo. My wife uh, went to law school here in Cleveland. And so she was going to start her law career. And we're like, okay, it's time. I'm 35 years old. Let's start segueing out of this. And uh, then all of a sudden, I kept saying to Toledo, like, we got to sign a contract, right? Like, what are we doing here? My wife's looking for jobs. We're looking for a house. And, um, and then they said, no, we're not going to go through with the contract. I forget the guy's name, the GM at the time. So we're like, okay. So I came to Cleveland. Um, Jock was having a party for Mike Mudd. I think it was his birthday or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And he was the assistant general manager, Larry's assistant general manager. Yeah, with the Mudder. Yeah. So at that party, Mudder said to me, there's a new team going in Youngstown in the Central Hockey League that they're looking for a guy like you, a player assistant coach. So I picked up the phone. I called the guy, the coach, and I got the job there in middle of July. I think we moved to Youngstown to help build that franchise. And that was really, really good. Um, the Central Hockey League was perfect for me. Like I, you know, I had a lot of fun those, those next few years, the slower pace of play, you know, again, I'm not fighting like I used to at all ever, you know, and uh, now and then once in a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You've got to just show the show the kids who the bosses. But I will say Randy Newell and I went out to a Youngstown Steelhounds game and you were not on the ice all that much. The first period you were in the box the whole time. I don't remember that. <laughs> you sound like my mother. <laughs> every game, every game my mom ever went to, which was a lot. Ah, Jeffrey always got kicked out for fighting. Like, no, that's not true. Not every time. But no, uh, the, yeah. So the Central Hockey League was a, was a good experience. That that Youngstown team was a fun thing because the closest team was Memphis, twelve hours yeah. away. So we were on the bus. It was nuts, man. We were three weeks on road trips and stuff, but wow. we had a good, good group there. Chris Richards and I, um, former Buckeye, mm-hmm. we, 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 he signed right after me. And, and, and the first couple of years together, uh, we, we scored a lot of points. We, we played at the same pace. You know, we were kind of like a knuckleball, you know, <laughs> but, everybody yeah, slow it down out yeah. there. That's what Jock and I used to do too. Slow it down. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, Richie was great. And, um, um, the second season in Youngstown, I led the league in scoring and he was second and they named me MVP. And I said, no, it's a co-MVP. And I tell that story all the time, but the league never named him. And he never, he never got his recognition, but uh, it, it was really, really a, a fun thing to play with a guy who could see the ice and make the plays. 223 points in 125 games played over two seasons. I say you slowed the pace down just right. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny about that too, is the same thing. I, when I came into um, Youngstown, I didn't score for like four games, like no points. And uh, I think it was in Fort Wayne, uh, Fort Worth. I got a, I got a Richie, uh, he threw one off my skate and in, and then I got like four more assists that game or something. That's so it was like, that's all it took was escape. It was, it was like that, right. A lucky bounce. But, yeah. but again, what happened was what I learned was that I was, I was, um, I had, I actually, for me, not slow down the pace of play, but slow down and, and realize like you can hang on to the puck more. These guys aren't as big as you. They're not as strong as you. Cause I'm an old man at this point. I'm 35 years old. old. Man strength. I got the dad strength. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, Oh yeah, just, just 
make the plays, take it easy. And, and uh, like I said, having a great uh, uh, line mate like Richie, it really, really was a lot of fun. So other stops you had in the, uh, in the CHL, Tulsa, Missouri, Mississippi, and Evansville. Why did you ultimately want to keep playing? Well, so the money was good. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was pretty good money, actually. You know, I can't tell you all the details because I'll be on one of those documentaries. On- <laughs> <laughs> there was some money there, <laughs> but uh, so what happened was Youngstown, right? The guy's name's Herb Washington. Have you ever heard of Herb Washington? Herb, Herb was a major league baseball player. And I think like he was like a, in college, he was like a sprinter, but he, he was, uh, he never took him at bat. And he never went in the field. He would go in in Oakland A's in the early seventies and, and just steal bases and be a base runner. But Herb owns a lot of McDonald's in Youngstown. So he was our owner, right? Well, I'm the player assistant coach, which means that I can get paid through the summer, my housing and some money and stuff. And you know, you need that, like you, nobody's getting rich at that level, but you need that to pay the bills. And I'm the league MVP and leading scorer. And he didn't want to pay me in the summer. Like, he's like, I don't see the, the value in this. I'm like, all right. So I guess it's time to move on. So we went down to Tulsa where my, uh, my wife's dad was down there. So we chose to go down to Tulsa. Uh, we went there for two years. And then um, Missouri Mavericks in Kansas City, where Tyler was born, uh, they were starting a team. And boy, I'll tell you what, they caught lightning in a bottle down there. It was, it was, uh, the first few years. I mean, I think they've been at it now 10 or 12 years, but the first few years they were selling out games really great. Like Kansas city was awesome. Um, and that year was the year that my daughter got sick. Ryan got sick and, um, we moved back there when we were done playing and Tyler was born and actually a couple of, what was it? two summers ago, we drove down there and I showed her the hospital where she was born and uh, met a lot of friends that we had in town and stuff. So it was a good trip. We had a good time. Wait, what happened? <laughs> she said she went swimming in a pool that she was Your allergic dad, to. Oh. Dad just told a nice heartwarming story. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you got to bring up that. Yeah. Which I, the mayor may not be true, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, um, and then what happened was um, we went to Mississippi Ryan was, was a patient there at St. Jude. So, um, I hadn't trained all summer and, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to play. And I, even though I had had a good season in Missouri, they didn't want me back. It was a real kind of crappy deal. And I, you know, that's a whole other story, but, um, so we decided we're like, well, let's play close to St. Jude. You know, Ryan had gone through chemo, and, you know, thank God she was cancer free, but we said, let's stay close to the hospital and we'll play. And Chris Richards was there and uh, Kevin Kaminsky, who was our coach in Youngstown was there. So it was felt like a good fit, but um, Kaminsky ended up getting fired. I, I had a decent season, but my heart just wasn't in it anymore. And then they, they cut me, you know, like they released me and I'm just like, oh, what a crappy way to end it. And then Evansville called. And, and Rich Crom was the coach and the old school guy, good guy. And I was like, do we, are we done with this or do we go or what do we do? And, and we made the decision to go and it was a good, I finished on a high note. Um, we didn't make the playoffs, but you know, I had a good, good end of my career and my last game, I ended up getting an assist and scoring the game winning goal in the shootout. And nice. like, that's it. That's enough. Yep. You know, yep. <laughs> it was enough was enough. Um, yeah. And then we moved back to Kansas city and Tyler was born. So 
um, yeah, that was how it went. So you, we were speaking off air and, and you mentioned shoulder surgery, 21 years pro. Yeah. A physical, physical brand of hockey for, mm. for the majority of it. Yeah. How many, how's the body feeling? Well, not bad. <laughs> not bad. Um, surprisingly. Okay. So the shoulder was something that I had a consult like seven years ago, you know, and the doctor was like, you need a new shoulder. Like you got arthritis and you can't lift your arm above your head. So anyway, I decided that I'm like, okay, enough's enough. I'm 51. Let's get this done. And uh, I don't know if the, the surgeon, believe me, I'm saying this jokingly because the guy did a great job. Dr. Commissar, ortho one in, uh, in uh, Columbus, but I don't know if he needed a new car for Christmas or something. He's like, hell yeah, we can get this done. <laughs> I'm like, shoot. All right, I guess it's happening. You know, it's like, it's like you wait so long and it's like, no, we're doing it tomorrow. It's like, what? <laughs> but it was a couple of weeks, but anyway, so we got it done on the 20th and, uh, it feels good. Actually. I'm really surprised. Like I can't move it. Like, you know, I'm in physiotherapy to get things all moving again. Cause the whole thing had been locked up for so long, but you know, I talked to jock, I talked to Andrew castles down there and I talked to Perry Gantry. He's like, well, what'd you get? Oh, I got a hip. I got a knee. I got a, you know, it's like, yeah, we all got something. So. I, got I, I got a shoulder. You got the shoulder. Yeah. So after yeah. 21 years, you, you obviously have quite a few teammates in your list of guys you've played with who, who were some of the guys you think you played with the longest? Ooh. Uh, well, like I said, in the devil's there four years with those guys, Jim Dowd, Ben Hankinson, those guys, uh, Mike Bonnerchuk is a guy that I still keep in touch with. We were rookies and he actually got me into framing. He he's down in uh, the Atlanta area. He's been doing custom framing forever. And um, yeah, we, we almost talk, you know, at least twice a week. We were rookies together in 1990 um i keep in touch with a lot of my teammates i think more than some guys i don't know i i just you know i have facebook or whatever but uh i like going to the alumni games and seeing everybody um you know they're great guys they're they're you know and and uh um i don't know when your teammates like that like you guys know it's uh it's a special thing and and it's a real family yeah yeah so funny thing i'll tell you um so they used to call me rudy you know, uh, I got that nickname when I came to Cleveland in 94, the guy uh, said, well, what do they call you? You know, what's your nickname? And I was like, oh, I kind of like to change my nickname because in Jersey, they used to call me Jughead. All right? <laughs> so my very first pro practice, I messed up a drill and I'm known as Jughead for the next four years. <laughs> I'm like, come on. That's not a good one. That's not, that's not, no, a, that's not a flattering nickname, you know. You can go a few different ways, like Juggy or Juggernaut, but still. <laughs> so I come to I come to Cleveland, and, and they said, "Well, what do they call you?" I said, I'm I'm trying to outgrow it. <laughs> so this guy Ed Patterson, he used to like to give guys nicknames. You know, there's always that one guy, and I've given a few nicknames, but not on purpose. Like you, you know, you you just come out with it. But he liked to kind of be the guy that the name. So anyway, I said, just give me a few weeks here, and you'll figure it out, whatever. But I got Rudy because I was always so happy and positive. And, and, and he, and he said that he goes, just like one day he's like, you're like that football kid, Rudy. <laughs> and then I was Rudy, you know, and, and, and Rudy's a lot better than Jughead. So I take that. Take it, yeah. But it's the point is that, you know, you talk about your old teammates. Like when I see the guys from the devils, they call me Juggy. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I was, I was a 20 year old kid who messed up one freaking drill. Like, give me a break. <laughs> So. And we talked about the playoff run with the Jacks that year. Eddie Patterson, Dave Roche, and Tyler Wright. Remember those three yeah. guys around like yeah. could not be stopped. Yeah, that. yeah. That was a that and that was our third line, right? Because right. you had you had uh, me and Mac 
and uh, and uh, Jocko, and you had Brad Lauer. Um, who else up front? He played at your pace. Jan or you? Brad Lauer? Oh, man. Dude. He could shoot it, though. No. The thing about Brad Lauer was that he had probably the three quickest steps to start. But he just he just never got going. Like, he just wouldn't do it. Like, <laughs> he played in the NHL at 18. Yeah. You know, so, you know, as opposed to Dave McElwain, who had played in the NHL a long time, still wanted to dominate here in Cleveland, right? And still had that drive to be number one and went on to play in Europe for a long time. Lau, who's now a uh, head coach in, uh, in Edmonton and the Oil Kings, mm-hmm. you know, he just, the, the Western Hockey League guys loved Brad Lauer, like Jock and, and Boris loved Brad Lauer. Oh, you know, if he, when he, when he wants to do it, he can do it. And I would be like, well, when's he going to want to do it? <laughs> <laughs> he can dominate, you know, he can dominate games, but he just, I don't know. I don't think he enjoyed his time in Cleveland as much as some of some of <laughs> Well, some people weren't happy to be there. Yeah. But he had more talent than, than anybody. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. a hell of a player. Um, and just one last note, I, I wanted to ask you about this. You didn't play a ton of games with him as far as guys you played a lot with, but you did get some FaceTime on a TV game with Mario Lemieux, right? Yeah, so um, the thing about Mario was that, like, uh, like I said, I would mess with him a little bit just because like I'm that guy. Right. So a couple stories was like the one time I'm on the bench in preseason and he scored in, we're in the, in the igloo in Pittsburgh and I'm sitting there in the middle and he comes and he sits beside me and I kind of give him a little nudge like this. And he looks over at me like, what are you doing? And I said, Oh, uh, my agent said to sit close to you. So I get on TV and we looked up and we're both on TV and we started laughing. And then, um, what was the other one? There was an agent. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. But I had a couple of funny things with him over the years. And, you know, when I got the job in Wheeling, it was Pittsburgh farm team. And, you know, they invite you to training camp and you're around the rookie camp and everything. And uh, just the classiest guy, like he, you know, I'm 100% sure he didn't know who I was, but he <laughs> makes you feel like, Oh yeah, yeah, no, I remember, you know, you were up with us and then it's like just a really classy guy. And uh, he didn't have to do that for me, but yeah. anyway, yeah. Um, you know, and like I said, there's, there's a few stories from back in the day there, but it was just a different era. You know, uh, he just, he, guys went out together. They don't do that anymore. You know, you had your road roommate. That was like your wingman, you know, your, your, your partner in crime and you know, all that, all, I think all that's kind of gone. You yeah. know, the guys are, are, uh, you know, they don't have road roommates anymore. They, they, who's they, your roommate in Cleveland? On the road, Paul Dick. Paul Dick. Yeah, great, great guy. Did he great. play with you in Houston also? Yeah, yep. yeah. We actually lived together in Houston. Paul Dick, uh, defenseman, real solid, solid guy. Western Canada. He's coaching um, um, a junior team in his his small hometown, but just the greatest guy of all time. Like, would do anything for anybody. Just, and I, I loved him. He was just a, a really great dude. Uh, we we'll st- we st- still keep in touch. So you mentioned uh, the coaching, going into coaching in, in Wheeling. So you're out of the game for a few years, at least at the pro level. And then you ended up as an assistant coach with the Wheeling Nailers. You're living in the Columbus area, I believe, at the time? Or? Yeah. So um, as we went through our cancer treatment with Ryan, we went three years. And around Thanksgiving 2012, we were in Kansas City. Tyler was just born. And they said, look, you, you don't have a lot of time left you know, this is, this is, we don't have any, we're out of options. And so my wife had grown up in the Columbus area. And I said, well, we got to get back up North. 
we got to go like tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And we did like, we basically, we left right away. Um, because I felt like we we're going to need the support of the family, which we did. You know, my family came down, a lot of friends here in the Cleveland area came down to visit and stuff. And, and um, we lost Ryan January 24th, 2013. So Tyler was an infant, you know, and that's basically what I was doing. I was Mr. Mom, you know, uh, my wife started her career at Nationwide Insurance eventually, and I was coaching Peewee's um Ganch actually got me in it Perry Gancher was the U16 coach down there and I and I started coaching peewees I bump into Bill Guerin um I it was in Cleveland I think uh at Gilmore maybe his son was playing and uh, he was the assistant GM I think at the time with the Penguins or whatever and he's like hey what are you doing and blah 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 we got caught up and we hadn't seen each other in forever and he said you know we might be looking for an assistant coach in wheeling because um, that year Sullivan had been in the American league and he replaced the Pittsburgh coach Clark Donatelli got promoted from wheeling and David Gove, who was the assistant coach became the head coach in wheeling. So I got the job as assistant coach, long story short, I got the job as assistant coach. And then David Gove was removed. Oh, you know, went to rehab. Um, we won the first round of the playoffs and then he went to rehab and I took over as head coach and we went to game six, of the finals, unfortunately he didn't win it. But, um, you know, the year later, they, David Gobe was found dead and he had that, um, that, uh, awful opioid addiction, <laughs> just awful. And, and like, I didn't know him as a person prior to the addiction, but you could certainly see it while we were there, you know, but from all accounts, just the greatest guy, like great teammate, great guy. And I don't know how he, or he got hooked on that stuff, but just an awful tragedy, awful. And um, anyway, I, I got the opportunity to coach wheeling and I was there for two years and I really enjoyed it in a lot of ways, but I'll tell you um, for me personally, it wasn't very good because I was away from Tyler she was in Columbus. I was mm -hmm. back and forth commuting like two hours and I'm on the bus and I'm just like, my heart's not in this anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. And so, you know, after the two years, um, you know, they basically said, look, we're not going to renew you. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I'm back home full time. And that was that, but you know, you, you got to get to that point, I think. And it's a lifestyle that it, a lot of people don't realize it's not all fortune and glory out there. You know, it's, it's a lot of busing and road trips. And that year, my, my last year in wheeling that bus um, out West with all those kids, remember that Humboldt. accident Humboldt? Yeah. And I'm just like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I've been doing this for 30 years and it's too much. Well, and so that was that. So before we talk to you about what you're doing now, um, also during that period of time, you were, you were right. You mentioned St. Jude's, you're raising a lot of money. Uh, with the foundation and Ryan's name, is that something you're still involved with? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, team Ryan, um, my wife primarily does it now. She, uh, the big one for us is the uh, Memphis, um, marathon weekend, which is the first weekend in December. She gets her friends together and they go every year. Um, Tyler's been involved with it and, uh, you know, with the yard sales and fun things like that. So, but I didn't really run. I'm more, uh, more like 
Strollard. <laughs> Strollard. I love it. Is that a is that a is that a verb or a noun? That's that's <laughs> that's my pace right there. Yeah. Stroller. It's a verb. Yeah. So now we. I mean, I I um, volunteered with St. Jude. I helped um, primarily uh, dads who who had lost children. I did that for several years. Um, just letting them know, you know, they're, you can get through this. It's not easy and everybody does it at their own pace and their own way. But, um, you know, like in my life, I try to find the joy. And if I'm, if I'm in wheeling, like Rudy, that's it, man. And if I'm in wheeling and I'm not happy and I'm on this bus and I'm like depressed and sad and lonely, I just don't want to do it anymore. So you know, this is it. This is what we do. You know, this is my joy right here. So, you know, well, that's perfect. That's perfect. So you get out of the hockey, you get out of the pros. Um, you did a little youth level, uh, level coaching, and then you made a cha- transition into the business world. Yeah. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about, uh, the original frame warehouse. Yeah. Um, so I was doing custom framing and real estate being full-time stay-at-home dad but part-time, you know, framing and part-time real estate. And so anyway, I got the opportunity to buy this frame warehouse, which had, you know, been founded in 1949. And we've been in the same location for 40 years. And I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, people come in, they tell stories, you know, it's special items and things like that, or the jerseys, you know, the hockey stuff that we do. We do a lot of sports stuff, but, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and you just never know what story is going to come through the door. And, and, uh, it's a good way for me to meet people and, and, uh, stay out there, but it, it working with your hands and putting stuff together. It's like, it's like a, it's like a form of art to me, the framing, the way we make it look and stuff. Uh, but it's my first real crack. Like I've had a couple of car dealerships over the years that were like, kind of like small little things. This really, you talk about entrepreneurship. This is the first real, like deep dive into it. And there's a lot of stuff that they don't tell you, you know, <laughs> like today, for example, I paid my sales tax for December and I'm just yeah. like, Ooh, that hurt. You yeah. know? It's like, do I really have to pay the state that 7.5%? Why can't I just keep that? And I got Brett Harkins, my old line man here. He's my credit card processing guy, you know, yeah. so I'm always calling him busting his chops about the fees and stuff. But um, no, I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So our listeners that are listening, you can go to the original framewarehouse.com to get more information if you'd like anything framed. Well, Jeff, we, we appreciate both you guys coming in uh, and talking to us uh, over this past hour. Um, again, it was great hearing those stories. Great hearing a little bit about uh, synchro skating. Synchro. I believe it's called. <laughs> um, so again, thanks for coming in, sharing your stories. And um, um, make sure you tune in next week for another live show. We will have John Dorr of the Hobie Baker Award Committee with us in studio to discuss how Ohio high school coaches can submit their players for the Hobie Baker high school character award. Check us out at ohiohockeydigest.com for episodes, archives, and a list of upcoming guests. We're continuing to grow the game as best as we can. This is on air, the Ohio hockey digest podcast.